0: Hey, Community of Faith, Happy Easter. I'm so glad that you're joining us. Uh, Laura and I are excited to share with you today. We're excited about this new series about sticking together when you're stuck together, and I think you can identify. It's been such a crazy time. I I know I was watching a movie the other day. I think it was an old Dustin Hoffman movie. You know, you just keep going back and back in time. I don't know if you are, but I have been, and, and it was quarantine or something like that. I can't remember what it was, but it was something where they're all quarantined and, and they're stuck together. And I was thinking, man, life has become like a movie or something. It's, it's crazy. This is, this is nuts. I think the disciples that very first Easter were probably experiencing something similar. They were in shock, just like some of us have kind of been trying to figure this all out. They were trying to figure out what had happened and what had worked, and and in the passage that we're going to look at, we're going to see them quarantined basically together in a little room. They were locked away. We're going to find out it was because they were afraid for their lives, and they're they're in trauma. They're they they failed. I want us to kind of just pull back just a little bit because as we begin to think about marriage, as we begin to think about our relationships, as we begin to think about life in general, we have to kind of come first to a place where we find the strength and the power, even where's the willpower to make those things work. So we want to talk to you a little bit about the promise that that Easter has for us, where Easter power actually works best. So we're going to look at that. I know on Easter, a lot of times, I'll, I'll have people come up to me and say, I need proof of the resurrection. And there's a lot of historical proofs outside of the Bible uh, that you can find. If, In fact, if you're interested in that, you can look at Lee Strobel's work in The Case for Christ. He also has another book called The Case for Faith. Look up those two books and and look through those. Lee was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune, and he was an atheist. He wanted to prove that the Bible was wrong, that Christ didn't rise from the dead. And he went into this full-blown investigation of it, kind of a 48 hours kind of thing. And he ended up coming to faith in Christ. So it's such an interesting read. If, you, if you're trying to figure all this out, that's a, a great read for you to look at. But one of the reasons why I think, at least the most compelling thing to me, besides my own personal experience is looking at the lives of these disciples, Jesus disciples, because we're going to see them in this moment. They're defeated and they're down and they're, they failed Jesus. And we're going to see these same men change the world. Charles Colson, who was uh, President Nixon's right-hand man during Watergate and all of that, you know, crisis that they had back in that day, He became a believer after he was sent to prison for those political crimes. And here's what Charles Colson says. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact. Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, was tortured, was stoned, was put in prison. All of them died excruciating deaths. They would not have endured it if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. And he said, you're telling me that 12 ordinary disciples could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. You see, something had happened in the lives of these 12 ordinary men and the others that were close to Jesus. Something change them from depressed, disillusioned, shaky, quarantined in a in a locked up house on a nondescript little street in some backwater part of Jerusalem to become from that world changers. Bold, courageous, powerful. How did that happen? And I think there's some truth that we can find in this that is going to help us find the answer for power in our own lives whether it's to break addictions or to change our relationships or even just to have the 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 hope and the will to move in the right direction in a relationship that we've given up on let me just read to you from john chapter 20 it's friday on friday jesus had been crucified and now it's sunday night and here's what john 20, starting with verse 19, says, That evening the disciples gathered together, and because they were afraid of reprisals from the Jewish leaders, they had locked the doors to the place where they met. But suddenly Jesus appeared among them and said, Peace to you. Then he showed them the wounds of his hands and his side. They were overjoyed to see the Lord with their own eyes. Jesus repeated his greeting, Peace to you. And he told them, just as the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. Then taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins, and people's sins will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty.
1: The disciples were experiencing a crisis that first Easter morning feels a little familiar. I know for the last several days, every morning I wake up and I think to myself, what do I need to do today? What am I gonna do today? And then I remember, oh yeah, I'm just gonna stay at home <laughs> yes. because that's what we do right now. And I seem to have this kind of underlying feeling of restlessness, kind of a, a feeling of of directionlessness, if that's a word. But I, I feel a little out of sorts, and as much as I try to stay positive, I don't know about you, but sometimes that feeling of anxiety begins to rear its head, and that feeling of fear begins to creep in. You know, fear for my family, and fear for the future, fear about my health, fear for our country. Maybe you're feeling those kind of things as well, and it made me think a little bit of the disciples that Easter Sunday morning. They'd been... Um, Together, you know, they were experiencing all these things, like Mark said, they were hiding out in that small room, shuttered, they were traumatized, the windows were locked, the doors were shut, and I'm sure they felt a little unhinged as well. I mean, their whole life had come unglued, everything that they had planned, everything they were dreaming of, everything came to a sudden crashing halt, and there they were. What they thought was going to be a new kingdom that Jesus was going to usher in as the Messiah, had all come crashing down in an instant. And they were grieving. They were grieving the loss of their friend. You know, they'd spent every day of the last three years with Jesus. He was their friend. He was the one that they shared their struggles with. that He was their confidant. He was the one they prayed with. He prayed for them. And the grief was real. It was overwhelming for them. And if that wasn't enough, they were afraid, like we said. You know, the, Jesus had been violently killed. He'd been through a, a process of a trial that was unfair. And and the disciples were wondering if perhaps they were going to be next, that their turn was coming. John 20:19 says the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And it also says that it was late that Sunday evening. It was late on the day that had been the most horrific they had ever experienced. I can imagine they were completely exhausted in every way, spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally. And you know, one of their friends, Judas, had betrayed Jesus. He betrayed all of them. Jesus was arrested right in front of them. He was abused, he was mocked, he was tortured, and then he was brutally killed. They'd all been traumatized. All of them were feeling the effects of trauma. And imagine their sense of failure. I mean, they had promised Jesus that they would follow him. No matter what came, no matter what happened, that they would stick beside him. And then when this turn of events came upon them, they suddenly fled, every one of them, the Bible says. Matthew twenty-six fifty-six says, all the disciples deserted him and fled. They ditched their promises and they ran for their lives. Can you imagine the feeling of disappointment and anger they felt toward themselves? The sense of failure must have been palpable in the room. And then I imagine, like it always seems to do, that doubt began to creep in. The disciples had banked everything on the belief that Jesus was the Messiah. They'd heard Jesus talk about being crucified and being raised from the dead. Jesus told them that that was the plan. But when it actually happened... It really threw them off. And you know, between Friday night and Sunday morning, there was plenty of time for doubt to creep in their minds. They were shaken to the very core. They weren't sure what to believe before. Nothing turned out like they dreamed. No hope, no plan was left. I don't know about you, but maybe that sounds a little bit like your quarantine life right now. Grief, fear, exhaustion, Trauma, failure, doubt. Are you feeling those things? Maybe you're upset with yourself for yelling at the kids, or you've been feeling irritated with your husband. You're there right now feeling so many of those things that the disciples felt that very first Easter. And believe it or not, that's what Easter's all about. In the midst of our messy lives, Jesus shows up. That's Easter. Let me read it to you again. That evening, the disciples gathered together, and because they were afraid of reprisals from the Jewish leaders, they had locked the doors to the place where they met. But suddenly, Jesus appeared among them and said, Peace to you. Jesus shows up right where we are, in the midst of where we are. Sometimes we think, or at least I think, that I have to be doing the right things. I have to be, you know, maybe gathered with my family in prayer or on my knees or or doing all the right things for Jesus to show up. But that's not what the Bible says. The truth is he comes to us in the middle of our fear. He comes to us in the middle of our failures, in the middle of our grief, in the middle of our trauma. In the wake of all of that, Jesus comes. The disciples obviously hadn't gathered together to have a prayer meeting. I mean, we see that. They were huddled together in that room in fear. They had questions. They had doubts. And the risen Savior came to them. He showed up. That's the message of Easter. He's alive, and he always steps into our weaknesses. He always steps in when we have doubts. He always steps in in our brokenness. He doesn't care how we're feeling. He doesn't care what we're thinking or how we may be acting. He comes to us. And I love that about Jesus. He's with you right now wherever you're isolated. Maybe you're home with your family, maybe you're in a hospital room, maybe you got stranded away from home. It doesn't matter wherever you are or how you feel, Jesus is there now. He comes to you. You can pour your heart out to him because he loves you.
0: I want you to see something else this uh, Easter, and that is the peace that Jesus brings. You know, suddenly Jesus appeared Among them. The door didn't click. The lock didn't open. It wasn't like Jesus was outside trying to pick the locks or something like that. He's not there, apparently. And then all of a sudden, he is there. What happened? Well, see, I think probably he was always there. But then he just manifested so they could see him. He allowed them to see him. And when they saw him, it's like everything, everything changed in a moment. They went from being alone to having his presence with them. And that's really the lesson of Easter, that Christ is already here. He's already there with you right now. Maybe it feels like he's a million miles away. But what Easter shows us is that that's not true. He's not. He's right there. So what does that mean for you today in your life? Simply this. Jesus can go where no one else can go. Jesus can go into the deepest, innermost, most traumatic, traumatized part of you. He can go where no counselor can go. He can go where no loved one could ever get to. He can, he can go there and he can make a difference. Those, even those areas of your deep inner self that you're not even aware of, Jesus can go there and he can heal, and he can move. There's all of these depths of buried trauma in in many of our lives. Uh, But I want you to know that even if you're there, Jesus can find you there. There's no one else like him in the universe. He's alive. He's risen. He's the risen Lord. He's the God-man. What he is capable of, you cannot imagine. And all of the... complex layers of of your life, which even you can't understand, they're just familiar territory to him. You see, these disciples, like Laura said, they had failed. They thought nothing could erase that. Maybe that's what what you thought. Even if Jesus was alive, I mean, he's just going to be put out with them, right? I mean, that's, he just would be angry with them. They had deserted him. They had abandoned him. You see, they had put on Jesus the story of their lives, the way they grew up, probably like many of us, they grew up with performance based kind of acceptance where they had to do everything right, grow up and be good little Jewish boys and girls is what I'm imagining that their parents were always saying and not many of them had turned out that way. I mean, most of them were like cussing sailors. Some of them were tax collectors that hung out with prostitutes. Parents probably not so proud, maybe disappointed. But here's the thing, not Jesus. You see, Jesus loved them right where they were. He loved them just as much in their failure as on the day that they did the most amazing thing for him. And no, he didn't want them to stay there because he comes to bring abundant life. But he loves us even there. And it's so interesting that Jesus said to them, Peace. Peace. He said it twice, peace. He comes to bring peace. Quit striving. Quit putting on that, you know, your game face. And, and, and some, of, some of us, let's be honest, some of us are on the edge of a nervous breakdown. We're, we're, we're struggling, but we've got to keep that, that face on, you know, for the family, be strong for the family. I, I get it. I understand. But Jesus sees the anxiety, the fear, The unknown out there. Maybe the sense of failure. Maybe the choices that you've made coming back to haunt you. Peace. Christ's presence brings peace. Jesus spoke peace and everything changed. All the fear, all the doubt, all the grief, all the failure was sucked out of the room. And it says the disciples were over joyed those men and women that were his closest followers that had failed him so badly it wasn't like he's looking at them and just shaking his head said i didn't think you were going to amount to anything he just appeared and the look on his face changed everything he loved them like he had always loved them just as they were so that they could become all that he wanted them to be you think about him saying peace it was the same word that he had used when they were rowing so desperately across the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and that storm had come up, and they were close to drowning. Jesus is asleep in the boat, and they wake him up and said, don't you care that we're about to drown? And Jesus simply stood up, looked at him and said, where's your faith, guys? And then he spoke, and he said, peace. And the sea turned to glass. The wind stopped. That's what was going on right here. Peace. This deep inner storm, this turmoil that you're feeling, all of this anxiety and all the, 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 the emotions that are swirling like a hurricane. Peace. He spoke to them. And suddenly it's like, it's peaceful. The room is still. I was talking with a guy a while back. And he told me, he said, Mark, I just really feel like I have let God down in my life. And I said, well, I want to encourage you, my friend, because you haven't let God down. You're not holding God up. So you can't let God down. He knows you. The Bible says that he's mindful that he made us out of dust. He remembers that. And he knows how fragile and how weak we are. And he's mindful of it. They were filled with joy because Jesus is there. And he's going, I love you. I accept you. I've got good plans for you. And then it says something really interesting. It says, taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That word blew is really just the word breathed. He breathed on them. And it's interesting. It's the only time this word is used in the Greek language in all of the New Testament the original language of the New Testament. But if you look in the Septuagint, which has the same language for the Old and the New of the Latin, it's the same word, breathed, that's used all the way back in Genesis when it says that God breathed into Adam and man became a living soul. He breathed on them. He was giving life to them. He was giving life and it changed them. The mighty wind that came later in Acts chapter 2, he gave power to them as the Holy Spirit came. But in this point, when he said, at this time, he said, receive the Holy Spirit, receive life from me in the midst of your broken dreams, in the midst of the graveyard of your doubts and your hurts and your, just everything falling apart. The fear of failing, the fear of never being enough. 1 John 4, 19 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, we love Jesus because he first loved us. And it's always true. Some of us think that we're the ones, you know, seeking after God. But it's always God seeking us first. And that's why we find him. We've been found by him. I read a story about a little girl that was lost uh, in a, a huge forest. And they had searchers out for her all day she was about four years old and they didn't find her that whole day finally night came on and they had to call off the search for the evening because it was just too dark and too dangerous but her father went out into the woods at the crack of dawn the first little bit of light the next morning and he happened to come into a glade was open and on a huge rock on the other side he saw his little girl asleep and he ran over to her and he called her name, and she woke up, you know, with her hair all uh, all messed up and, and just dirty. And, and then she looked at him for a second, and she said, Dad, I found you. I found you, which is what we do a lot of times, I think, with God when he's the one that searched for us and found us. It's not an accident that you're listening right now. It's not an accident that you... Decided to tune in on this particular, at this particular moment, this particular day, this particular time. God has been searching, seeking. He loves you and he wants to know you and he wants to speak peace over you. And he wants to give life to you. I love that about God. You know, the death and resurrection of Jesus was more than just something that happened one time. It's something that makes a difference now in your marriage, in your relationships, in your everyday life, in the midst of crisis. And Christianity is not about performing for God, trying to be good enough, and it's about being found by God and allowing Him to be your God, this one who loves you that much.
1: You know, if you think that things are going to, go back to the same way they were before this coronavirus crisis i want to tell you that you're wrong god is using this time to produce change to transform us resurrection power doesn't leave things undone and god's not going to leave things undone in your life ephesians 1:20 says this how tremendous is the power available to us who believe in god That power is the same divine energy which was demonstrated in Christ when he was raised from the dead. The Apostle Paul uses the Greek word dunamis here, which is where we get our word dynamite from. It was that type of power, dynamite power, that broke away the chains of sin and death and propelled Jesus out of the tomb and back into life again. And Paul is saying God wants to use that same power in your life today, to bring transformation, to bring life change. God wants to bring the power of the resurrection of Jesus into your situation, whatever's going on in your life. He wants to transform the weaknesses in our lives into strengths. He wants to transform the ugliness into beauty, the brokenness into wholeness. God specializes in bringing dead things to life. And if he can bring a dead person, if he can raise a dead person, He can certainly raise a dead marriage or raise a dead career or raise a dead dream. He can literally do anything. That's what the power of resurrection means for us. We have to admit that we need it, though. Paul wrote, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. We have to stop relying on ourselves and rely on God. That's what he wants us to do this Easter weekend. You know, one of the most beautiful things in all of creation, I think at least, is the butterfly. But the butterfly didn't start out that way. It started out as a caterpillar, which honestly is not one of the most beautiful things in all of creation. But I don't think there really is any other transformation that's more miraculous than that of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. It involves several stages over the course of the insect's life. And during the the pupa stage, the caterpillar actually uh, makes a chrysalis or a cocoon and it climbs inside and his body literally dies and transforms into something brand new inside that protective shell. Some people think that, that a cocoon is just a place where the caterpillar goes to rest. But that's absolutely not true there's no rest going on inside of there there is a lot of activity going a lot of things are happening and it's honestly kind of gruesome if you read about it entomologists that I read described it by saying it's the construction of a butterfly from caterpillar soup Mm -hmm. so you can imagine what's happened to the body of the caterpillar that old body has to be completely broken down completely destroyed And then its transformation takes place. It becomes something totally new. The butterfly is created, a whole new creature. It's only through death that the power of resurrection transforms. That's what we saw as Jesus went to the cross and then he was resurrected again to bring power into our lives, power for salvation, power for freedom from sin. The Greek word used for transformation in the Bible is metamorpho, and it literally means to change from one form to another. It's where we get our word metamorphosis. And it's a change that's produced from the inside out. That's what God means when he talks about transformation. Romans 12:1 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you, metamorpho you into a new person. And the verb tense for that word there is passive, indicating that there's nothing I can do there's nothing you can do to transform yourself from the inside out it's not up to your activity but it's God who has to do it just like that caterpillar doesn't do anything to transform himself he simply follows his DNA which leads him to create that cocoon and climb inside and then his creator does the work of transforming him into a brand new creature God wants to transform us in the same way you know, butterflies and caterpillars don't just look differently, but they're completely different on a cellular level. Everything has been changed. They behave differently, too. One lives in trees, and the other one flies. One eats leaves, and the other one eats solely the sweet nectar it finds in the flowers. Author Fiona Jesperson says it this way Resurrection always starts in the dark, in suffering, in dying. I cannot find the transformation I long for in myself, my loved ones, my community, until I embrace letting go and trust that the one who created me will bring me through to new life. You know, I think we're all a little bit in the dark right now, isolated, struggling, fearful, anxious, grieving. You may think that God isn't here in the midst of it, but I want you to know that he is. In the midst of all of it, God is working. He's doing a work of transformation, and that's the good news of Easter. That's what he wants to do in your life. My father-in-law has always said, God isn't interested in our comfort. He's interested in our character. Transformation is hard work. It's uncomfortable. It's ugly sometimes. It's only in dying to myself and surrendering my life to Jesus that I'll ever truly come alive. And that's what God wants you to know this Easter. I want you to take some time this week and just consider that. What is God trying to do in you? Where do you need to surrender to Him?
0: Maybe right now you're saying, Mark, I just feel crushed. I feel broken. I feel confused. I feel like I'm at the end of my emotional resources. Despair, defeat seem to be just encircling you. And you hate it. But guess what? You're in the only place where you can experience resurrection power. Because you see, resurrection power works best in a graveyard. Maybe it's a graveyard of broken dreams or broken promises or even just this crazy time that that we've had where it seemed like everything was going perfect and we had a big old once-in-a-thousand-years kind of pandemic that dropped your business or your life just into the toilet. And you can't even find toilet paper. You know, you're watching. God, I'm at the end of myself. And He says, I'm here. Peace. I want you to experience me. I want you to step into this today. Step across the line. Step into what Easter is all about over the next few weeks we're going to look at different ways that God wants us to step into this in our marriages especially and I don't want you to miss any of those it's going to be so important I I I know it was about year eight for Laura and me that uh, we were just finished we were done you know we thought it's over we didn't we didn't make it broken dreams broken promises but that was the point that Jesus stepped in and resurrected everything and you're going to find out about that we'll talk about that over these next few weeks I want you to to, to tune in with us and be a part with us I want us to set up communion here at the end of this time you said the bible says that Jesus appeared to them and, and when he appeared how do you think he looked Did he have a halo? No. It says that he showed them his hands and his feet, the scars, the the battle scars of battle won for you and for me. And his appearance there proved the truth of everything he had ever spoken. And they never forgot that. That's why they were able to go and live those lives. That's why they changed the world. As you go and and get some of the elements for communion, maybe you think, I didn't have the wine. I didn't have grape juice. I didn't have, I know you probably have bread there somewhere. Just get what you have. It's going to be okay. Because that's what I love about Jesus. He works with what we have. Maybe you just have water. That's okay. Remember, he turned the water into wine. He can turn it into wine on the way down if he wants to. All right, as you drink it. So just get something there and celebrate with the family as Laura and I do this together because this is what we do. We remember this mighty risen Savior and we don't remember him as one who lived a long time ago and is dead and gone. We remember that he's here now with us. The Bible says that on that very last day that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said to his disciples he said this bread represents a whole new way of life it represents my body that's going to be broken for you i want you to take it into yourself i want you to receive it take it and eat it and in the same way he took the cup and he said this This cup, it's a a new covenant, a new covenant in my blood. My blood's going to be shed for the forgiveness of sins, your sins, my sins. As we step into this, there's nothing that's magical about this. It's the remembering of what he did for us. As we say, Jesus Christ, I want to accept that forgiveness for myself right now you can do that even as you do this i receive your forgiveness once and for all he said take it and drink it jesus has such good plans for you and for me i want to ask laura if she will lead us in a prayer and a prayer over you over your family over what's going on your circumstance, even right now. And I love that God's gifted my wife to to pray and I just, as she prays, it's like God always answers. So I know He's gonna answer for you, even in this time. Would you pray with us?
1: Lord, we are so grateful today to be celebrating the fact that you came, that you loved us enough to come and be our Savior. And God, we thank you That not only did you come, but that you went to the cross for us. That you took all our sin on us so that we could experience your love and grace and forgiveness and have a relationship with you. God, we thank you for that today. We thank you that you rose again on the third day and that you live now. And that you live to bring power to our lives. You live to bring healing to our lives. You live to bring goodness to our lives. God, that's what you promised us and we thank you for that. Lord, I thank you that we can worship together today. Lord, we do pray for every person, every family listening today that you would do the work of transformation that you have in mind to do. That even during these difficult days that they would find your presence very real, that they would feel your peace among them. And Lord, that as we surrender ourselves to you, that you would work in our lives that you would transform us that you would make us exactly who you designed us to be and lord we thank you for what you're going to do and it's in jesus name we pray amen
0: i know it's a hard time right now i know it's difficult but jesus is with us he loves you so much and laura and i we love you so much we can do this together let's go on this journey together wherever he takes us he'll be with us
1: Let's close our service today celebrating the living hope we have.